Good morning, everybody. I'm wrapping up our series, The Crook in Your Lot. Uh, a crook is a crooked thing in your life, something that's frustrating you, a place where there's conflict, uh, some sort of affliction that is not uh, easily mended. It's something that's crooked that you cannot straighten out, no matter how hard you try. And the reason why you can't is because God has not straightened it for you, and God is the one who put the crook in your lot, and you cannot make straight what God has made crooked. Only God can make straight what he has made crooked. And so what we've learned is much of the trial, trouble, tribulation in our lives has been placed there by our Father for our good because he loves us. And he's using these crooked things to straighten us out. And so today we're going to be looking at the end of suffering, or what is it in the end that God is going to do through all these hard things that are happening in our lives. Our passage is from 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to be looking at verses uh, 7 the second part of the passage, uh, primarily first, and then we'll look at the first part of the passage second, uh, but I'm going to read the whole thing to you now. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. One of the things you're going to learn as you begin to uh, really take seriously your walk with God and particularly begin to study the scriptures and let God wash your mind and teach you what he's doing in this world is that God's kingdom is a kingdom of casting and asking. God's kingdom is a kingdom of casting and asking. God wants his children to cast their anxieties and cast their fears and cast their worries and cast their shame and cast their complaints and cast everything they need and ask their father all the time for everything. God wants us to pray to him all the time for everything. He wants to talk to, talk to us all the time for everything. He wants to be with us, close to us. He wants us to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us, and he's the only one who has the power to fix it. And so often God gives us crooks in our lot because we're not doing that. We have sinful unbelief in our hearts. We have begun to think that we are strong enough and smart enough and wise enough and capable enough to just live our lives independently from our Father. Now, that's arrogance. Because this reality, this whole universe, is only being held together at a molecular level because of the will of God. And at any moment, God could just go, and everyone disappear. So we can walk around this world and act like God doesn't exist. And that's helpful because if God doesn't exist, then I get to be God. One of the reasons why we choose to create atheism, one of the reasons why we love to come up with evolutionary theory, is that if there's no God, I get to be God. If there's no law, I get to make it up. <laughs> if there's no one to tell me what I'm for and what I should be chasing after and what's good, then I can decide what I'm for and what I'll chase after and what I think is good. And this is why human beings love atheism, and this is why they love any theory that cuts God out of reality. But it's not real. That's not true. That's not actually how this universe works. God is real. He is ruling and reigning over all things. And he wants to save us from the coming wrath, from the coming judgment, in which all those who have rejected God and all those who have sinned against God, which is everybody in the universe, all of them pay the price for their sin, which is eternal separation from God, eternal hell. That's what we are in store for, unless we receive from God the forgiveness he offers us. You see, God loved us so much, he didn't want us to perish. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who took the punishment for us. He took our hell for us. And all of us who will receive Christ as our King and Lord and Savior, and who will make God our Father, and walk in faithful obedience to him, all of us who receive the salvation, the forgiveness that God gives, we're spared that future. Not because of our righteousness, not because of the good things we did, but because of what God has done. And so, when you become a Christian, when you bear the name of Christ, you have been born again into a new reality, into the real reality, and you live in the Father's house. You live in your Father's world, and your Father is all around you. He's always with you, and he wants you to be with him. He wants to be close to you. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of asking and casting and loving and talking and working. It's a kingdom of being with, with God. 
This is what he wants for you. But, like I said, our hearts get hard and they turn away from the living God. They chase after sin. And so God throws a, a lot in our, a, a, a crook in our lot. And in the process of dealing with this really hard thing that we can't straighten out, it turns us back to God. And we say, God, please help me. And it turns us back to God and it puts us back in the right relationship with our Father. As his little bitty children asking for all that we need. This is what God is doing in the middle of the crooks. Now, we're warned in Scripture, Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Why would you fall away from your father? Because you have an evil, unbelieving heart. And what is it that you're not believing or you are believing? Well, you're believing that you are God, that you can rule and reign your own life, that you can run on your own batteries, that you can direct your own steps, that your goals and plans, well, those must be right because that's what you want. And the human being is just naturally pulled towards this kind of selfish, arrogant perspective. And that unbelief is way down deep inside your heart. You don't even see it. It's like a, it's like a sea creature down at the bottom of the ocean. And you've got to drop those hooks deep to pull those creatures up. And there's some things down there at the bottom of the ocean that you wouldn't believe. And there are some things deep down in the darkness of your heart that you don't even know. Stage one cancer that only God sees. And he wants to catch it early. He wants to turn you back from your unbelief. So he throws a crook in your lot. So that it brings up this unbelief so that you can confess it and repent of it and turn it to God and casting and asking and God can heal and restore you. And you can become transformed into the image of his son, Jesus. You can become the kind of person that God created you to be. So the second part of the passage says, therefore, since you have this sinful, unbelieving heart that naturally turns away from the living God, he says to us as brothers and sisters, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is sneaky and sin is in the darkness, deceitful. And your hard heart, your heart is always getting hard, always getting hard. And so God is massaging that hard heart with crooks. He's putting crooks in your lot so he can straighten you out. He's putting crooks in your lot so he can straighten you out. And when you're being straightened out, you know it because you're casting all your cares on God. It's not that things aren't hard. It's that you're calling out to God and asking God for help. And then God is saving you because God... He loves to play the Savior. He loves to play the Savior because he is. God is the Savior. You see, we tend to think God's like a genie, right? I become a Christian, I follow Jesus, and I, he gets me into heaven when I die. Great. But in this life, what I do is I kind of rub God a little bit by doing something good and pleasing God, and then I tell God what I really, really want, and then he gives it to me. And what that is is you don't love God. You don't want God. You want to use God. You want what God can give you. You don't want God. You don't want him. Now, all of us know what it's like to be used by somebody, and that's horrible. God's no different. God isn't offering you um, his power. He's not offering you his wisdom as something independent from him. He's offering you him. That's what you need. That's what you're made for. That's what you're made for. <laughs> that's what God is giving us. God is our salvation. God is our strength. God is our wisdom. God is our protection. God is the one we need. And so, when we have crooks in our lot, and we turn to God, we're actually turning to him as Savior, which he loves to be because he is. And that's one of the reasons why you get crooks in your lot. So as soon as you have a crook in your lot, you should be casting it on him. And the way you want to think about this is think about it like a little kid. <clears throat> your heavenly father, he loves to have his sleeve pulled over and over again, just like a little kid. I don't know if you have children, but um, I have a little six-year-old. And uh, he will just come up to me as soon as I walk in the house and he'll say, Dad, Dad, Dad. And he'll tell me things and he, sometimes he'll ask his mom for things. I mean, it doesn't matter what she's doing. He'll say, Hey, Mom, can you give me some milk? <laughs> Or in the middle of the night, if he's scared, he just cries out and he expects me to just get out of bed, you know, get out of my bed, my warm bed, and come over there and help him. And why is it Why is it that our kids just expect and assume that we want to be, you know, 
available to them all the time. That's because they're children. And they just presume. They just assume that we love them with our whole heart. And we just can't wait to see them. We can't wait to be close to them. And that's exactly how your father wants you to relate to him. Yes, Jesus says, that's exactly right. Unless you come to God like one of these little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to come to God as if he is the all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing father who's got his arms open like this. And you're a little bitty kid walking up and saying, Dad, Dad, would you please, would you please? That's how God wants us to relate to him. He's our father, we're his children, and he wants us to act like it. See, he wants to be the Savior because he is the Savior. And so what he does is he uses those fish hooks, those fish crooks, to get deep down in our hearts, and he pulls up that unbelief so that we can see that deep, dark unbelief in our heart. We can repent of it, and then we go back to our Father, who is our Savior, who is our Lord, who is our provider, and then we're with him. This is what God wants us to do. Okay? Jesus says this explicitly in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, that we're supposed to be pulling our Father's sleeve all the time. Dad, 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 Dad. Dad, all the time, God wants us to do that. He's inviting us to do it. Here's what he says. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. And then he says, just in case you don't understand what I'm saying, let's just consider you dads who are listening to me. This is Jesus talking to, to the whole crowd. But he's like, just think about you dads. Which of you, if his son asked him for bread, would give him a stone? Hey, Dad, I'm really hungry. Do we have any bread? No, but I have a rock. Eat that. <laughs> Dads don't do that. Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a serpent. Hey, Dad, do you have any more of that uh, salmon you barbecued? No, but I have a rattlesnake. Eat that. Dads don't say that. Dads don't give their children bad things when their kids ask for good things. That's not how dads are. And then Jesus says, look, if then you who are evil, right, your sinful, unbelieving hearts, you guys still give good things to your kids. If those of you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? So ask. Pull that sleeve. Cast your cares on him. When you're going through crooks, one of the reasons why is because God wants to turn you back to be with him. Because you've maybe gotten off onto your own path. You've gotten off to become your own rider. You've decided you're going to march to your own drum. And what's happening is, is you're getting into unbelief, and that's going to get you to turn away from living God. It's going to bring judgment and pain and condemnation, not just on you, but on all those who follow you. And God knows that, and he wants to catch that cancer early, and he wants to cure you of it. So he throws a crook. He makes it crooked so that he can straighten you out. And when you're straightened out, you've turned back to your father, and you're casting, and you're asking, and you're thanking, and you're receiving from his word your directions, and you're obeying in faith. And as you do this, you are being truly human. This is what it means to be truly human. So ask him. Now you may be thinking, yeah, but what's the point? I've been praying. I've been asking. I've been casting. And God hasn't answered me. <laughs> well, first of all, understand that delays in the court of the Lord is not a dismissal. Your case may be delayed. Your petition may not have been responded to yet. But just because your petition in the courts of the Lord have not been responded to yet does not mean that your case has been dismissed. God is good, and he says that if you give me your cares, and you give me your anxieties, and you give me your fears, and you call upon me, I will answer you. I will provide for you. I will be good to you. And do you have the faith to do it? And to keep doing it, to keep asking and seeking and knocking, because that's what it means. The verb is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't quit. Don't do it one time and stop. But keep calling to your Father, because he loves. He loves to create that tension, that drama, because he is telling a glorious story that you're a part of, and it's for your good, and it's for his glory. So keep asking. Now, I've seen this myself. Years ago, my brother-in-law and I created a prayer app called PrayBuzz, and it's just a, an app that allows people to pray together from anywhere, anytime, 
and uh, it allowed people to uh, notify others when the prayer was answered. It was pretty cool. But one of the best things about PrayBuzz was you had a profile page with all the records of your prayer requests and how God answered. And you could actually sort your page by answered prayer. So if I go to my profile page on PrayBuzz, I can click Answered, and it will just list all of the prayers that have been answered over the last decade. And I can go to your page and do the same thing. So I could just spend an afternoon going around to all my friends at Church in the Valley and all my friends in the 17.6 network who have used PrayBuzz. And I can just see all the prayers that God has answered. And one of the amazing things you find is that God answers big prayers. God answers small prayers. God answers things you wouldn't believe. And I remember why we created PrayBuzz. Because way back in the day, back in, you know, a decade ago, I was in the hospital with friends. Because there was a young man and he was dying. And he was as good as dead. And we were all praying for this guy. And the doctors told his parents, look, it's, it's not a matter of if he's going to live it's, or if he's going to die. He, he's going to die. It's a matter of when. He, he is not going to get out of this hospital. You need to prepare yourself for this. And so we all prayed. People were praying around the country. And it was crazy. This guy lived. God turned all his organs back on and he got out of the hospital. And he's alive. And I'd never seen God do anything like that. I didn't know God could do that. I didn't know God answered prayer like that. I just thought that was like, you know, Bible stuff. I mean, it wasn't real. You know, yeah, it's true. God answers prayer. But not really, right? Not really. And he did it right there in front of my eyes. And I thought, wait a minute, why am I not praying like this? Why am I not believing what he says? And I thought, well, one of the reasons why is I don't have any idea what's going on in your life. You know, it's like I text you, hey, bro, how you doing? Good. Can I pray for you? Yeah. And then I forget, you forget, nobody remembers. Two months later, hey, oh, yeah, how'd that go? That thing we prayed for, you're like, I don't even remember it. I thought, wouldn't it be better, more motivating, more helpful if I could have you know, a steady stream of information uh, from people uh, that I have relationships with? And where they could be sharing requests to me and I could be sharing requests to them. And then when God answers, they can notify everybody at the same time. We can all rejoice together. Wouldn't it be great? So we created this app. But it was all because I saw God do what he said right here he would do. That if we pull on his sleeve, he will answer us. And even if he doesn't answer us immediately or in the way that we want, we should never think that that doesn't mean that God has somehow dropped our request. That's not what it says here. It says, you give it to me and I will hold on to it. And I will deal with it. So, Cast all your anxieties on the Lord, for he cares for you. Because what he wants is a person who's his children, casting and asking, casting and asking all the time. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. I don't know if you remember the story of the prodigal son, but it's the story of a wealthy father. He's got lots of property. He's got two boys. He's got a bad boy and a good boy. And the bad boy says, I want all the money now. So could you just die so I could have the money and go off and like party? And his dad, he gave him his portion, his inheritance early before he died, which was super offensive. And he gave it this huge amount of money to his son, his like, you know, wastrel son, who took off to like some faraway country and blew it on drugs, alcohol and hookers. And then he's broke and he's basically working as a slave and he's feeding pigs and he's all depressed. And he realizes I should just go back home and be a servant in my father's household. So he comes home and his dad sees him from a, a long way off and he's running out there to his son, which is totally not what men did back in the day. But he loves his son so much he runs to his son and he throws his arms around his son's neck and he kisses him. And he, he puts his robe on him. He puts the ring on him. He puts all the clothes on him. And he's like, you're my son. I love you. And the son's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And they have this huge party. And his dad like forgets about all the bad stuff he did. And they have this huge party. And that night, his other son, the good son, the good boy, he comes from out in the field working like a dog. You know, it's dark. He comes back. He hears the music. Boom, 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 boom. He sees the lights. You know, people are partying. They're having fun. He can smell the barbecue. He shows up. He's like, what's going on? And one of the servants is like, isn't it great? You know that loser brother of yours who did all the drugs and alcohol? Well, he's back and your dad forgave him. Isn't that great? <laughs> and this son, this good son is just flipping out. And he's like, what? This is unbelievable. So the dad comes outside and says, why don't you come in and party? Your brother's back. And he's like, because that son of yours, he's just, he's a horrible and a good and 
bad and you never gave me a party. <laughs> and his dad says something interesting to him. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach us about our father in heaven. This is the kind of relationship he wants. Jesus says, says this. He says, the, the father says, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. But this son of mine was lost. And now he's found. He was dead. And now he's been brought back to life. We have to rejoice. But see, that, that, that good boy son, he didn't want the father either. He didn't want to be with the father. He wanted the father's money. So he thought if he was a good boy, eventually his father would die and he'd get the good stuff that he could go spend on what he wanted. And the bad son, he didn't want the father. He just wanted his money. And so he just asked his dad, hey, can I have the money now? His dad's like, okay, sure. But they were both after the same thing. They didn't love the father. They didn't want the father. They didn't want to be with the father. They just wanted what the father could give him. And that's how we can be. We don't want God. We don't want him to be our father. We don't love him that way. We want what he can give me. And that is deep sin, deep wickedness, deep idolatry. That is deeply offensive to the God who loved us and saved us. And you know what? It's just true. It's true of me. It's true of you. And God knows. And so he brings that stuff up and it's like, oh, that's bad. Look at me. Look at my heart. And then we cast it on the Lord and we ask for his forgiveness. And he does it. He brings it up through the crook in our lots. God wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him in his kingdom. The kingdom of your father. The kingdom of casting and asking. So what are you waiting for? You got crooks? Ask. Cast. Go to him over and over again. Tell your kids. Tell your spouse. Tell your roommates. Tell your brothers. Tell everybody about the crook. Everybody pray for it. Everybody share. Beg God for it. Everybody's calling out to God daily. Let God be the Savior that he is. This is the first end of suffering. Second end of suffering. Second end of suffering is glory. One of the reasons why God gives us crooks is that he might glorify. Glorify himself and share that glory with us. He wants to restore the glory that mankind was created to have. He wants to restore the glory that mankind was created to have. You see this throughout the Bible. The end of the story is not man is humiliated and dies. The end of the story is man is humiliated. He dies. He's raised from the dead. And then he's brought back to new life. And then he's grown up into the full maturity of Jesus Christ. And they, the, our Father transforms us from the Bible says from one degree of glory to another until man is restored to his proper role in the created order. And God is doing all of it. And that's why it says in Romans 8, 18, it says it, I didn't make this up, Romans 8, 18, for I consider, this is Paul, for I consider the sufferings, I consider the crooks, I consider all the problems in your life are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God is going to work in you and reveal in you a glory that you can't imagine. The problems you're having right now, the, the crooks you have right now, are going to be, you're not going to be able to remember them. It's going to be like trying to remember um, a bad dream from three years ago. You just, you know, you're not going to be able to remember it. Because of all the good and glorious things that God is going to create and work inside of you. This is what God wants to do. He wants to do glorious things in you. God has glory in store for you and I. And suffering is sandpaper. Suffering is how he gets us ready. We are rough wood. And so he gets out the sandpaper and he starts sanding away. And he is making us glorious. And it hurts like crazy. <laughs> and the reason why this is so hard, the reason why all this crook and the lot stuff is so difficult is because of our pride and our unbelief. You see, we have our own definitions of glory. We want glory. We want exaltation. But we have our own definitions of what's glorious. And we want to, we want glory on our terms. We, we don't want to be creatures. We want to be the creator. We don't want to be children. We want to be the, the parent when it comes to God. We don't, we don't want to be servants. We want to be the masters. 
And the problem is, is that the glory that God is giving us as human beings is what's called derivative glory. It's downstream from God. It's glory by reflection. The glory that God wants to give you, the glory that God is creating inside of you is glory by reflection. You're the image bearer of God. So what glory is God working in you? Humility. Humility. You know what makes a human being glorious? When they look like God. Because God is glorious. So when the children reflect the glory of their father, they're glorious because their father is glorious and they're reflecting that glory. So what is a chief characteristic or quality of God? What is he trying to grow in us to make us glorious? Humility. God is humble. Down to his core. Down into the bones. God is humble. You know how we know? Jesus. Jesus is the perfect man, the perfect human, the complete project. He's a 10 out of 10. He's 100% A+. Jesus is what all men and women are being transformed into being. And he is humble. God is humble, and he wants you to be humble. And so God is giving you the glory of humility by humbling you. He puts crooks in your lot. These crooked things are made to straighten you out so that you'll be humble. So this is why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, we should respond in faith. And the way we respond in faith is this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. So let's break it down slowly, as if this was the cure for spiritual cancer. Okay, let's take it piece at a time. Number one, humble yourself. What does that mean? That means don't exalt yourself. That means you humble yourself. You bring yourself under the mighty hand of God. You voluntarily take your place underneath the mighty hand of God. You humble yourself. Now, humbling means prostrating, bringing yourself low, putting yourself underneath. And I want to give you a picture of that from the scriptures. Revelation 4.10. Listen to what the 24 elders do before the throne of God. It says the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. This is how you humble. You want to humble yourself in the crooks. How do you humble yourself in the crooks? You get down on your knees and you pray to God. You physically bring yourself on your knees. You physically posture yourselves as a servant who is on his knees before God. That's what they literally did. That's what we do. I'm not saying you do this every day and every moment, but it is a really good practice to take some time to go in your closet, to go in your bedroom and shut the door. You don't have to do this in front of a bunch of people, right? But you get on your knees before God as a symbol of your humility before him. God, you are God and I am not. You're the writer, not me. You're my father. I'm your child. I bring myself below you humbly. I submit myself to you. I want to say very clearly that I'm grateful for your love. I love you. I trust you. And you are God and I am not. And this is a symbol of my humility. I want to humble myself before you. Second thing they do is they throw their crowns down before him. They give him rule and reign, which means his law, his law, his laws, his rules, his, his standard is what uh, these, these elders are accepting. And that's what we do if we're going to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's why the second part says, under the mighty hand of God. We put ourselves under our Father's hands so that he can touch any part of our life. There's no part exempted in our life. There's no part of our life that we say, well, that's off limits. Because we're going to put under the mighty hand of God. If God wants to put a crook here, he can. If God wants to put a crook here, he can. If God wants to put a crook here, he can. Because we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. What's the crook in your life? What are you really frustrated by? What's breaking your heart? What are you missing? What is crooked that you can't straighten out. Go before God in your closet, 
in your bedroom, on on your knees and say, God, I give this area of my life to you. I trust you. I pray that you would straighten it out for me, that you would take it away or straighten me out so that I can endure it. Now, what tends to happen as Christians is we have spaces in our lives that are off limits. And see, when you become a Christian and you make Jesus your Lord, what you're saying is, God, come into my house and go through every room, every drawer, every cupboard, every nook and cranny. You find anything you want to change, any sin, I will get rid of it. Any error, I will fix it. Anything you don't like, you have free reign to all of it. And that's what we, we, we believe we're doing as Christians. But somehow, very subtly, our unbelieving heart, our hard heart, begins to turn. And God comes into a certain room, and we stand between God and the door. We say, no, 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 not, not that closet. Not, not that dresser. No, 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 not that drawer. No, 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 this is, this is mine. This area of my life is mine. This is mine to control. This is where I get to decide. This is where I get to be the king. This is where my law and my thoughts and my wisdom and my fashion and my style and my personal preferences that I've exalted above your stated word should be free to do. I should be free to do what I want to do here. Right, God? And God says, no, that's where he puts the crook. That's where he puts the frustration. That's where he makes the thing crooked so that he can straighten you out. So God will go through your life. He'll say, hey, your goals and dreams, the secret things that you're not telling a lot of people, but that you're really shooting your whole life towards, those are not for me. And he'll put all sorts of crooks in your lot that frustrate you towards your goals and your dreams because he has not approved of those goals and dreams. And you're holding on to those things. You've made them a rival for his spot of highest and and, uh, Lord of all. God may draw attention to all sorts of things. Your attitude, the way you exercise and follow authority. God may have something he wants to change in the way you relate to people. God may have things to say about how you speak, how you work. God has a lot to say about your checkbook. He wants to open up your bank account. He wants you to sit down in the kitchen and open up your bank account on the computer and say, let's look through some of the things you've been spending on. And we're like, I don't want you to touch my money. No, 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 no. And so God puts a crook there, a crook in our finances. He puts something crooked there so that he can straighten us out there. Maybe God says, hey, let's talk about a couple decisions you made recently. Let's talk about those decisions you recently made. Let's talk about how you make decisions. I want to, I want to teach you how to make decisions in a way that's really honoring to me that will lead to your blessing. And we're like, nah, this part of my life, that's for me to decide. You know, I know a lot of Christians who don't really ask God about that. I know a lot of Christians who just do what they want, and they seem fine, so I'm just going to keep this to myself. That's not what God is offering you. He's the Lord of it all. He's the Lord of it all. And if you haven't given him lordship over all of it, or if you have some part of your life that you're like, God, you cannot put the crook here. That's exactly where you can expect to find the crook. Because you're not humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. You're putting yourself over the mighty hand of God. You're like, oh yeah, God, you have a mighty hand. That's great. But I'm going to go ahead and just do this. And I'm going to tell you where and how to do things. That's going to bring trouble. So if you want to get out of the crook, if you want to get exalted, if you want to get things better, the fastest way to do it is through humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. You see, we tend to think that we know what God's word says. We tend to think we know what God wants. And, uh, you know, many of us have been Christians for a while, or maybe you grew up in a Christian home, and you think you know what God has to say about being a man and a woman. Yeah, I know what God says about being a man and a woman. I know what God says about being a wife. I know what God says about being a husband. Yeah, I know what God says about money. Yeah, I know what God says about work. Yeah, yeah, I know what God says about attitudes. I know what God says about this. I know what God says about that. But we actually don't. See, we learned some things when we were little, and God spoke to us like a child. He gave us some simple things we could understand, and we mastered those things. But God still wants to work on you. He still wants to grow you up in maturity. He has more things he wants to teach you. He has more things he wants to give you. (laughs) And we don't realize this. And so we get stuck at a certain level. And then God starts bringing crooks into our lots. And we're like, I don't understand what's going on because I'm doing what God says as a wife. And I'm doing what God says as a husband. And I'm doing what God says at work. And I'm doing what God says here. But actually you're not. 
You're doing what God told you when you were younger, but there's a lot more that God has said in the Bible, and you don't know that. And you got stuck. And then you got a crook. And you can't quite figure out why. And what you need to do is you need to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and figure out what God's word says about that area of life. And maybe take another look. Let me give you an example of this. There's a picture on the screen. Uh, This is a a cart uh, with the Ark of God. Now, in the days of David, in the days of Samuel, so they're bringing the Ark back to the major city where the Ark is supposed to be, and the cart begins to shake. And this guy named Uzzah, that's this picture, he puts his hand out to stabilize the Ark of God so it doesn't fall into the mud. What a great thing for that guy to do. And God strikes him dead. Right there, strikes him dead. Now, what in the world is that about? Why did he strike him dead? And the reason why is because Uzzah was touching the Ark of the, God, of the Lord. And it's forbidden to do this. God is holy. He's a holy, consuming fire. You don't touch the Ark. There, there are very specific things that God has said about how his Ark is to be handled. And it was a disrespectful, irreverent, unholy thing that Uzzah did. And so he died because of it. But Uzzah was trying to do a good thing. Yeah, but it violated what God had said in his word. And he paid the price. There are things that God has said to us that we have heard through sermons, we've read in the scriptures, and we didn't put them into practice. And so we think we know what God wants in our marriage, with our kids, in our money, in decisions, with our attitude, with our career, in this and in that. We think we know what God has said. And we think we're doing what God has said, but we're not. And we don't. And then you know this because God has put a crook there. And so what did David do? It says that David was angry because of what happened to Uzzah. Now, he wasn't angry at God. He was just frustrated with the situation. So David went back to the scriptures and he discovered in the law of Moses that the ark was never to be put onto a cart. It was supposed to be carried by the Levites. And it was supposed to be brought in a certain way to the certain place that God had said. So David went back and studied the word of God and he realized that he was not walking exactly, that he had gotten sloppy. That they had gotten sloppy. They thought they knew what God had said. They didn't. Uzzah touched the ark and he died. This is a lesson to us. There may be crooks in your lot because you think you know what God's word says, but you don't. And you need to figure it out. Like David did. And so you'll see this last picture where the priests are carrying the ark. And it is blessed. And they're they're doing it precisely as God has said to do it. And they're blessed. And in the same way, in my life, I may have a crook in my marriage, with my kids, in my fantasies, in my health, uh, at my job, with my neighbors, with my mom and dad, my in-laws. You pick the crook in your lot. You have this crook. You need to study diligently the word of God like it's buried treasure to find out precisely what God has said about that part of your life. And then you need to do it in faith. That is how you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And anything less than that, anything less than that you can expect the crook to continue. The fastest way up is down. So if you don't know what the Bible says about this thing, then ask. Ask your parents. Ask your spouse. Ask your group leader. Ask your brothers and sisters at CIV. Ask a pastor. Email me, matt at churchinthevalley.com. Here's my crook. I'm not really sure what God's word has to say about it. Here's what I understand God wants me to do. Is there anything else you know from the scriptures that could be helpful? I'd love to help you. If I don't know, we can ask another pastor. But I promise you, if we search God's word, For his direction to humble ourselves under his mighty hand, he will exalt us in due time. He'll break us free from the crook. This is how children are supposed to relate to their father in heaven. They're supposed to store up his commands and study them and memorize them and apply them and walk exactly to them. Now, the last part of this passage says, so that he may exalt you. He may exalt you. 
And this is the end of the story. If we will humble ourselves before God and not rail against him for our crooks, if we will bring ourselves under his mighty hand and carefully obey his word, fulfilling the duties that he has given us exactly, then he has promised to exalt us in due time. And the best example of this is Jesus Christ. Jesus is our model. Look at what Jesus did in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God. He was way up here. He did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. He humbled himself because God is humble. Taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him. And gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. As you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, in faithful obedience, exactly to his word, casting your cares, and asking for your needs, as you do this, God will lift you up, as he did for the Lord Jesus. He will lift you up. He will Bring glory out of your trial and suffering. He will bring purpose out of the pain. He'll help to make sense of your misery. You will see, looking back, how God used it to transform you into someone and something glorious. This is the story that God is telling over and over and over again, every day. The darkness comes at night, followed by the light of the morning. The seed has to die in the ground to produce a rich harvest. Every night you fall asleep in a kind of death, not knowing if you're going to wake up. And then God wakes you up, resurrecting you each morning, making you new. God is telling this story everywhere, everywhere. Those who humble themselves are exalted. Those who lower themselves are lifted up. Those who trust God are then exalted and given glory by their Father. I know many of you are really hurting and struggling. I know you're exhausted and you're ready to give up. I know there are things in your life that you've been bearing for a long time, and it just feels like, I don't know what to do. This is what you must do. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. But when? But when? Last part. In due time. At the proper time. God's time, not your time. God's time, not my time. At the proper time, he will lift you up. Remember Mary, mother of Jesus, young teenage girl, not married. We want you to bear the Son of God. And we want you to bear him without a husband in a culture that will stone you to death if they find out. And your entire life, people are going to call you a slut. They're going to say horrible things about you. Your whole life, you're going to be chased and threatened because of who your son is. And we want you to do this. Will you do it? And her response is this. This is her response to the angel who was sent from God. She said, see, I, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. This is Mary's response. And she bore the son of God. She bore the savior of the world. And we honor her today. God has exalted her. But long after she died, her whole life was hard. But God exalted her. God will exalt you. Partly in this life. And then fully and completely in the never-ending life to come. There are things that God is going to do 
because of your faithful obedience, because of your humble trusting in him, in your marriage, in your family, with your grandkids, with your brothers and sisters at Church in the Valley, in the people that you have relationships with, as you trust God with the crooks in your lot, as you cast and ask and depend on him as the Savior, and he comes through for you, as you humbly submit yourself in the midst of these difficult things, God is going to transform you. He's going to create glory within you. He's going to exalt you. And he's going to use your faith as seed to grow more and more people in his kingdom. There's glory at the end. It's the end of suffering. I hope this makes sense. This is what we look forward to. This is how we make sense of it. And God is good. He's never more than a a tug of the sleeve away. So what can you do as a response? What's your next step? Number one, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Who would you better worship and serve but this God? Who, what God is there to better worship and serve than this God? Worship and serve the Father in heaven by giving your life to Jesus Christ. Number two, identify the crook in your lot and petition God to remove it. On your knees, reflecting your humble heart. Take your crook before him in prayer. Do it every day. Do it for a month. Tell other people so they can pray as well. And then finally, while you're doing that, where is your crook? Diligently seek what God has said about it and do it. Take another look at the scriptures. Ask for advice. Am I really doing this man and woman thing, this husband and wife thing, this mother and father thing, this son and daughter thing, this brother and sister thing, this employer or employee thing, this student thing? Am I really doing this? Am I really doing it the way God wants me to do it? Or is there something I'm missing? Be humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, under the word of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray you'd apply it to our lives exactly where we need it. We ask that you'd work these things into our hearts like leaven through dough. We pray this in Jesus' name.